Right. Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Matt. Um, if we've not yet met, hello. We've met, we're meeting now. And uh, I, I'm part of the leadership team here, helping out with a lot of the teaching and the preaching. And I lead a life group with, with Rachel, who was up here leading worship. If this is your first time, I just want to say welcome. It is so good that you're here with us, um, particularly good reason why this if this is your very first morning, it's a good morning to come in on, is that we are starting a brand new preaching series together, um, which I'm very, very excited about. It's about the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's what we're calling the series, the Holy Spirit. And whether you are a Christian or maybe you're not a Christian, maybe this is the first time you've Come to church. Is this a church? Yes, it is. Welcome. If this is your first time, you you may even still be wondering, why would we, as a church, want to spend multiple weeks looking at this subject, at this topic, of of all topics? And for me, I think there are two reasons that I am really excited about the the opportunity to speak on the Holy Spirit quite a few times over the next few weeks. I I think there are two main reasons that come to mind for me. And so let me start off by speaking to just the Christians in the room. You're you're a believer in Jesus. You've been baptized. Can I ask you something? Have you ever noticed that now you have been called by God, now that you have been baptized, have you ever noticed that the call on the Christian's life is totally impossible? Have you noticed, noticed, I didn't say like a little bit tricky at times or very difficult sometimes. No, totally impossible. And if if you've not thought that, have you ever thought about what it is that you're called to? I mean, have you ever uh, just thought, I mean, we can can go through some of the things that the Christian, the Christian's life is meant to to look like. Because, you know what, Rich was talking last week, we are are saved by grace and, and we go on in that grace. And we see that time and time again in scripture. But one of the things that the Bible is not shy about is also saying, okay, this is what the Christian life looks like. What does the Christian in life look like? Let me just, you know, in, in, the, in kind of biblical language, one of the things that the Christian is called to is to preach to the nations. Or in regular everyday language, tell everyone about Jesus. This, this thing that God has done in your life is not to sit with you. It's too big for that. It's too glorious for that. It's got to go elsewhere. And, and we go, oh gosh, that's telling people about Jesus. You mean I can't just get away with wearing a crucifix and calling it a day? I've got to actually talk to people about, about Jesus? That's hard because we might go, I, I just lack I lack boldness. I, I, the moment comes when I get to open my mouth and say, hey, this is what Jesus has done for me, and I find it so tough. And then sometimes we do, and what we find sometimes is that the response is, is not, it's not great. In fact, it, it may be hostile. It may be very negative indeed, which only makes it more difficult next time. And we might be discouraged by our own lack of boldness, or maybe we're alarmed at how this, this message of Jesus gets received sometimes. So maybe we just go, actually, you know what? That part of the Christian life, the call-in, that's a bit hard. So I might just take a step back, okay? Take a step back and just, what about what else are we called to? Well, the, the church. We're called to be community together. The, the church, that's, that's in the Bible. Um, Yet what we can find, even when we take a step back and just go, okay, I'm going to be in the Christian bubble of the church, is actually the church 
can be real tough as well. Just give it some time and you will find that the, the church will let you down. Maybe there will be someone who says something untrue about you or they, they will uh, promise something and then not follow through or they'll betray you or you them. Because we're sinners, you're a sinner. No, no one in here is perfect. Are you? Are you perfect? That's good. I like how Judy just went to scratch her head and I was like, <gasps> I was going to pounce on you. No, Judy isn't perfect. Sorry, Judy. And neither am I and neither are you. Stay around long enough and you'll be disappointed by church. The, that, you know, we're, we're saved by grace, aren't we? And yet we're also, what else are we called to? We are called to an uncompromising, relentless, put into death of sin in our lives. That as well, which is, which is tough. You know what happens when the old temptation, the old dog-in temptation comes back for the hundredth time, the, the millionth time? What happens when that worldliness that looks so appealing promises so much? You know, that, that sin that we are dead to, sometimes it seems so alive, right? Yeah, and, and, and the call to persevere in the Christian life to the end, despite sin, despite Satan, and despite suffering, it's, you know, it's a lot. It's hard. The Christian life is more than just simply tough. It is downright impossible, What's even going on here? I've just listed off a bunch of things. You're like, any one of those would be too much for me. And you just listed off six of them. What's going on here? Are we being being set up to fail by God? Is he calling us to something that's totally impossible that we can't do? See, that's reason number one I want us to be in this series on the Holy Spirit. You're thinking, reason number one was enough. I think we can just get into it. No, I'm going to give you reason number two why we should be talking about the Holy Spirit. See, what I notice about all of those things I just listed off for you is that, if you like, they are all uh, external, right? There are, there are things that you do, like verbs, right? You, you go and you preach to the nations, or you, you be church, or you put sin to death. You know, they're all things that you, that you do. Things might get even more difficult or impossible when we turn to the Christian call on the internal stuff. See, what we find in Scripture is that the call on the Christian life is not simply to do this and to to do that, but also to feel in specific ways, to to feel satisfied in God, to to rejoice in the Lord, to, to feel peace that passes understanding. And you'll see that in, just, just this morning, in our singing, we, we stood and we, we sang that song, didn't we, that said, the, the joy of the Lord is our strength, which is just a very interesting line, because in one line that we sang, we would, what were we saying? What were we singing? We were saying that we, we feel joy in the Lord, and also that because of that joy in the Lord, we are feeling very strong. You know, I, I don't know, but maybe with all the doing stuff, you can actually fake it for a bit. You can get by for a bit. But you know what you, you can't fake? You can't fake something like joy, can you? You can't go through the motions with joy. And, by the way, who would want to? Pretending that you can doesn't get you very far. Um, in his book, Spirit and Sacrament, um, Andrew Wilson tells this story on the, on the very first page. 
go further than the first page, okay? It wasn't just, well, that'll do. I'll stop there. No, I, I did. I read the thing. But he, he tells this story on the very first page. Um, and I think he, he sums up for me exactly what I don't want to be. He says this. He tells this story. I think of one person I know who was inoculated against Christianity at age 12 when he heard a man with an oily beard and a big priestly hat surrounded by icons declaiming in tones of the utmost solemnity, my heart is full and my cup overfloweth and simply didn't believe him. See, living a Christian life of, of saying one thing and thinking or feeling another, I mean, we have a word for that, don't we? It's called hypocrisy. You know, and I'm, I don't think many of us have the big priestly hat or the oily beard, at least not from my position up here. Very few of us do, but maybe we are listening to this and recognizing a similar gap in our own lives, even between the things that we were singing this morning and the very thing that we might be feeling. And so what does that kind of gap, that lack of feeling those appropriate things lead to? Well, it it can lead to a very subdued and dull Christianity that is kind of missing its vividness or its liveliness or its adventurousness. Any stories of kind of faith-filled risk-taking are kind of confined to this book, kind of safe and secure and don't escape. It it leads to a faith that's, that's rather dry, really, if we're honest, at best, and just quietly hypocritical at worst. Everything might be nice and tidy, but what is missing is a real kind of transformative power. There's not a lot of real victory over sin or maturing in Jesus going on. And when hard times come, oh, those hard times are, are really tough. To which I just want to respond, is, is that all there is? Is that the only expectation for the believer? Sure, I know, yeah, you're, you're, you're maybe you'll have that kind of occasional oddball believer who is just very excitable and very adventurous, and probably they'll have one of those adventurous lives and probably go and be a missionary somewhere else in the world. But what, what about us uh, normal, everyday Christians? For us normal believers, is there, is there really no expectation of meeting the impossible call of God on our lives? And if you think, oh, you've asked some big, good questions already, then this is exactly why we are starting this series on the Holy Spirit. Because the, the good news is that whilst, whilst we may feel that the call of God on our lives is impossible, we have a God who all the time does the impossible. And that is why we would want to spend time talking about the Holy Spirit. And so this is the question this morning. Who is the Holy Spirit and how does he help with all of this? Let's answer that question. Because the Christian life, you know what? I do think it's impossible. I'm not going to go, actually, I don't think it's impossible. If you just dig deep, if you just white knuckle it and you really try, you can get somewhere. That's not my message. No, I'm going to say, I agree with everything I said. All of everything I've described, that's impossible to do on your own. But the good news 
is that we have this God who does the impossible. And, there, and there's, there's something that we see very clearly as we start to look at who the Holy Spirit is. And so if you have a Bible with you, please do turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. Okay? That's just open your Bible. Just open the cover. Easy to find this morning. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. It's going to come up on the screen behind me. But let's read the first couple of verses of the Bible together. It goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's one thing about uh, this story that I just can't get over, this creation story, right at the beginning of the Bible, is just how matter-of-fact it sounds. God created the heavens and the earth. Just like that. Just like that. And you go on and you read this, the, the rest of this creation story, it just it goes along like that. And, and God created the, the, the stars. Just like that. It just, it just speaks and galaxies pop into existence. Billions of galaxies, hundreds of millions of stars in a, in a moment. You know, if, if I spent the first kind of, if you like, five minutes of my sermon this morning talking about how finite we are, well, the very first thing we see when we start reading the Bible is the God of Genesis chapter 1 is not bound as we are. It's such good news. There's this old, old quote uh, by, a, by a preacher, A.W. Tozer, who says, How completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. What good news this is. And in the midst of this incredible, powerful act of creation, the very second verse of the Bible introduces us to this Spirit of God who is hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is present. He is active in the creation of the whole universe. Not only is he there when, you know, matter is created, but he is also very clearly involved in in creating life where there wasn't any before. We, we read the rest of, of Genesis chapter 1, and we see God speak and create animals, and speak and create birds, cr- speak and create insects. He takes the, the oceans, and the Bible says he makes them teem with life. There's just this overflow of not just a little bit of life here or there, a little bit of life around the edges. No, the Holy Spirit here just causes life everywhere. God doesn't make a universe full of cold rocks orbiting distant suns, but instead he makes trees and toucans and turtles. There's color and there's life. And last of all, he makes people. He makes men and women. Yes, the the Spirit of God is unfathomably mighty and powerful, he is also the source of life. He is life-giving, and he is generous with it. 
And if we were to continue reading on through, through the Old Testament, what we, we, we would meet the Holy Spirit more and more. And the story is very similar. We see that the, again and again, the Holy Spirit is mighty and that he gives life. Now, I don't know if you've read the, the Old Testament much, but there's this kind of repeated story, this repeated theme where God's people... People called Israel, that God goes, I'm going to make you my people. You're my people. Well, they say, actually, we don't want to be your people. We want to turn away, and we're going to turn to other gods, chase other gods. And as a result, they end up again and again in a great deal of trouble. You know, usually it's some other nation whose gods they're trying to worship comes and actually turns on them and enslaves them and puts their foot on their necks and wants to wipe them off the face of the earth. And right as as they are facing their doom, as they are moments away from careening off the cliff's edge, suddenly the Holy Spirit turns up. You can pick just about any story you like in the Old Testament and you'll read it again and again. You know, the Spirit came upon Moses and the Spirit came upon Gideon. And the Spirit came upon Samson, and the Spirit came upon Jephthah, and the Spirit came up upon Saul, or came upon David, etc., etc. That The Spirit rushes in and saves the day, usually with great acts of just astonishing power. You know, there it is again. There's the power again. God delivers them and saves them. You know, someone wins a battle just about single-handedly, and as a result restores life to a nation that was losing it. There's the restoring life again. And then the Spirit vanishes as quickly as he appears. He was there one moment, suddenly the Holy Spirit fell, and then sometimes the Bible even says, and the Spirit was removed. You go, oh, this is a very, this, this, this character in this, of the Holy Spirit, he's a bit of a, a mysterious one. He comes, accomplishes this saving goal, and then fades, fades out of the story a bit. Bit of a mysterious character. Not everyone in Israel, it seemed, got to receive the Spirit of God. In fact, hardly anyone did. And those that did, for, for the most part, only received the Spirit for a limited time. It's very mysterious. Who then is this Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. And here we reach a, a doctrine that is really, it's really unique to the Christian faith, that our God is a trinity. And, and, and what I mean by our God is a trinity is that we have one God. Okay? And at the very same time, uh, that, that one God exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And we are immediately confused by that. Immediately we go, oh no. Deep breath. We're, we're getting into it. We, we have one God, and God the Father is 100% God, and God the Son is 100% God, and God the Holy Spirit is 100% God. <laughs> what? How, how does this work? One plus one plus one equals one? Yes. What? How, this God, God breaks math. God, God being a Trinity, it doesn't fit in our heads. And listen, if if someone comes up to you or nudges you during the sermon and says, 
I've got an easy way to explain the Trinity. Just say, you're a heretic. It will be a quicker, <laughs> it'll be a quicker conversation for you. And because you know, sometimes we, we get so troubled sometimes, by the things we fundamentally do not understand about God or cannot understand about God, that sometimes what we do, with the best intentions, I'm sure, is we kind of dumb it down in order to make our hurt head, uh, our heads hurt a little. You can tell my head's already hurted. To try and make our heads hurt a little less. And it's usually around this moment that someone, maybe you're even feeling the, the impulse to kind of put up your hand and say, I've got an easy way to explain the Trinity. God, it's like an egg. It's like an egg. Have you ever, have you ever heard, Christians in the room, you may, you may have heard someone say that. You know, here's an easy way to explain the Trinity. God is like an egg. What do you have with an egg? Well, an egg has got a shell, and it's got the yellow bit, and it's got the white bit. And that's like God. <laughs> what? What are you on about? I was, I was really struggling to understand the Trinity, and now you're starting to go on about the... The eggishness of God. You haven't helped anything. It, stop. You see, if, if Jesus were to walk in through that, that door right at the back of the room, and we were all to turn and look at him, I mean, the problem with, if I have an egg yolk, I'm not, that's not an egg. But if Jesus were to walk in through, and we were to turn and look at Jesus, we would be seeing not one-third God. We would be seeing 100% God. God is not like an egg. And he's not like water either. It's not like water can sometimes be ice and sometimes be steam and sometimes just be, you know, liquid. It's not like that with God. God isn't sometimes God the Father and then you look away and he kind of changes his costume and now he's the Son. You know, he was the son for 30 years, and then he decided to become a bit more spiritual, and now it's God the Holy Spirit. No, that's not how it is. We have one God who eternally exists as three persons. The true God who creates the universe does not fit nicely into our minds. And the fact that many of us in the room are kind of rubbing our our temples a bit as our brains melt... It's actually a good, can I just say that's actually a good thing? How is that a, a good thing? Listen, if God is small enough to fit into our very finite brains, then we would end up with a very finite God and not the limitless God who creates finite creatures like you and I. You know, some of us are, think, are listening to this right now and you're, you're making the mistake by thinking, this is all very interesting. I'm sure the 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 people who are really into their Bibles, those egg, egg-headed theologians, they, love, they probably love talking about this and for, for hours on end, probably in the original Greek or something. But I don't... Like, what, what, could, what could the Trinity possibly have to do with my everyday Christian faith here in Ottawa? And I think the answer to, to that is absolutely everything, in my experience. In my experience, a a confusion when it comes to the Trinitarian nature of God leads to an awful lot of trouble for the one who believes in Jesus. Let me give you an example of this. Let me tell you a guy called Ben that I knew back in in England. Um, He was this guy in his mid-30s, Ben, and, and he had actually just become a Christian a few years earlier. And in many ways, 
I'd say like Ben was doing really well as a Christian. You know, he was part of my life group. He, he was learning to pray. You could see evidences of God's grace all on his life. Like he, he ended up uh, le- leading worship in the church, you know, front and center. But even after that, there was a moment when Ben kind of, life group kind of confessed to me one night that he, he really struggled in his relationship with God in one area like just the feeling of, of knowing God and being, being close to him. And, and the problem was this, because in his mind, God was somehow in conflict with himself. In his mind, as he was trying to think, how do I relate to God? Ben would, would say, you know, I, I, love, the, I, I love Jesus because he comes and saves me. But it's like God the Father is a little bit angry and cold and wants to punish and so God the son kind of jumps in the way and saves and, and saves Ben but then God the father goes all right I have to put up with you and then the Holy Spirit is just there just off off to the side and what that meant for Ben is that he it's just like I like Jesus but I don't really like God the father I don't even know what to do with God the Holy Spirit but the truth of the matter is Whatever one person of the Trinity does, the others are fully involved in too. For, for every verse you can give me of how Jesus loves you, I, can, I'll be, I bet I can find a verse about how God the Father loves you. And for every verse you might have about how the, the Father judges and punishes sin, what we also see is that Jesus judges and punishes sin. There isn't a disconnect in what the Trinity does or, or how God is towards us. He's, he's not split up like that. And for Ben, this was just a big thing. And until this, this worship leader, front and center on, on the stage on a Sunday morning, wrestled his way through this misconception that God was sometimes somehow kind of split and in conflict with in his affections towards Ben. But you know what? He really struggled to worship himself, leading other people really struggling to worship God, to, to feel close to God. See, our acceptance that, that God is three in one, listen, it has real, real world implications for us. Rich mentioned briefly last week, you know, we, we don't want to deny who God is by ignoring one of the persons of the Trinity, we want to know God. That's just who we want to be as a church, a, a church who, who, who knows what God is like, who God is, and also experiences him. And, but the truth is, you know, I, I, think, I think many of us, we, we struggle with what, knowing what to do with the Holy Spirit, I think. With, with God the Father, yeah, I, I just got, I've got this idea as to why that is. With God the Father... And God the Son, tell me if this, is, if this makes sense to you. We kind of almost have a start in place. You know, there's something almost, if I can even use this word, intuitive there. You know, if, if Jesus were to walk through that door at the back and we, we would turn and look at him, we would go, well, I kind of understand how I would relate to the man, God come as man, Jesus Christ. We kind of have a starting point there. Or with, or with God the Father, you know, it's a little bit different because God the Father is spirit. You can't turn and look at him. But even in the way that Jesus tells his disciples to pray, when he says, when you pray to God, pray like this. Our Father, 
who is in heaven, our Father. So Jesus gives us this, this context for our relationship with God as a loving Father. And I want to also add what a glorious, what a wonderful context to know. Oh, I know how to relate to God the Father as my loving Father. It's so good. With God the, the Son, with God the Father, we have that starting place. Uh, but I, with the Holy Spirit, with how we relate to him, maybe it's not as intuitive. You know, where, whenever the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, often it will be like a simile. You know, where the, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove or comes like a rushing wind or rests on the disciples as if fire. And because of this, we're like, I'm not sure how to relate to the Holy Spirit. What we can end up doing is we end up ignoring the Holy Spirit and therefore not really knowing the Holy Spirit. We can see this in action. And you, you, can, you can check. Like, if you're just thinking, do I, do I know what to do with the Holy Spirit? Do I have a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is? Here's, here's an easy check for you. We see it in action when we find ourselves referring to the Holy Spirit as an it rather than a he. In the Bible, and we're going to see this again and again in this series, the the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as a he, as a person. I had a chat with a guy not too long ago who who once told me, you know what, the the Holy Spirit is like electricity. And you just kind of have to uh, tap in to that supply of power. You have to harness it. But I I don't see that in here. I see that the, the Holy Spirit is a person who, who feels things, who, who has emotions. You know, the, the Bible even says, for example, that the, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And you think, well, oh, it's so surprising because we were, it's remarkable even, because we, we were talking about Genesis chapter 1 and, and how the Holy Spirit is there and cr- is so powerful and creates galaxies worth of hundreds of millions of stars. He's so powerful. And you're saying that the Holy Spirit... Now, the Spirit of God wants to get so close to the believer, so close to the Christian, so, so make himself even so vulnerable to human beings that he may, he may even be hurt by us. And yeah, coming close to us is exactly what is promised. And listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to know the expectation of a believer's relationship with God, what is on offer, if you like, for you this morning is not that you relate to God who is, a, who is sort of a long, long way away and distant, and you sort of shout a prayer up every now and then, but don't actually feel anything, don't actually experience anything of God. That is not, well, it's not what you're going to hear in this, in this series. Actually, what, we, what we, we see is that God wants to come very close, and, and he wants to reveal himself to you. And that's something to be expectant of. See, in the Old Testament, it's true, very few people in God's family ended up with, with even any experience of the Holy Spirit. But that was not how it was going to stay. We see this in the book of Joel. We see God promise his people that, is a, that there is a day coming, this is Joel prophesying, 
um, kind of in the, in the voice of God. This is what Joel chapter 2 says. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. I'm going to look at this in in more depth as we go on in in the series, but on Pentecost, after Jesus dies and rises again, the spirit is poured out on all flesh. It's like, and not just like a little bit. Hey, I'll give you some drops of the Spirit. No, poured out. It's in, it's in stark contrast to how it was in the Old Testament. All believers are to benefit from the power, that amazing, mighty power, and also the life-giving work of the Spirit. How, how so? Well, all those impossible parts of the Christian life that I was reading off at the beginning, you know what the Spirit does work there. Take, take the problems of feelings, feeling God's love. How, how do you do that? You can't fake feeling God's love or feeling love for God. Well, here's the work of the Holy Spirit and how he comes and addresses that need. He, this is how it's described in Romans chapter 5, which says that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You don't feel like you have the necessary love for God or for others this morning? Oh, God wants to do the impossible. He wants to put that love in you. He wants to pour that love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. All that impossible stuff that we are to walk in. Oh, so impossible. It's so hard. How on earth am I going to do that? How on earth am I going to wake up tomorrow and get out of bed and go, this is is an impossible call on the Christian life? Well, the good news is that we're not alone. You're not meant to be trying to do the impossible on your own. God does not leave us alone. He does not leave us as orphans. But he comes to us. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. He says, when the helper comes... I love that so much. When the helper comes. Do you need a helper this morning? When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The helper. I love that so much. If you need help with living the Christian life, and you do, you do need help, then the Holy Spirit is given by God for that exact purpose. He helps us by bearing witness to us, telling us, preaching to us about Jesus. If you know anything, anything true about Jesus, then actually, you know what? You've already met the Holy Spirit. You may not think that you have, but you have, because no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. It is impossible. Good news is that we are not alone. There's a helper who is available to us. And we don't even have to, you know, we're not going to stop in a moment and sort of go, would you send your spirit to us? No, you know what? I don't need to do that. The Holy Spirit has already been poured out. The Holy Spirit was here when we were singing earlier. The Holy Spirit was here before any of us woke up this morning. 
that kind of low expectation that I kind of outlined at the beginning of this sort of tired and scraping by and making the best of it and putting on a mask but being a bit hypocritical behind the scenes, that is not meant to be the norm. There's something else for us to walk in. is to walk by the Spirit. That's what I want for us as a church, to increasingly be empowered by the Holy Spirit, increasingly dependent on Him be experiencing the way that he works powerfully and also to be experiencing the way that he brings sudden unexpected life and how he restores it, how he saves lives. He's been doing that since Genesis chapter 1. He's still doing that today. And as we go through this series, I want to kind of give us a, a prayer to be praying, regardless of whether you are a Christian, a believer, this morning, or, or whether this is your first time in church, it doesn't matter. You can pray like this. Would you just say, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit to show me more of Jesus? If we're praying like that, who knows where we will end up. This is going to be an exciting series. We're going to know more about the, the, the power of God. We're going to be, know more about his life-giving abilities. And now we get a chance to worship him together. You know what? God is here. We're not just shouting up to a God who is far away. No. Holy Spirit is here. And so we get to enjoy him together. And if you are particularly feeling this morning, you know what? I just need help. I need a helper. Let's, Let's sing with an expectation that God wants to come and he wants to impart power, impart life, tell you about Jesus. So let us do that. Let's sing and worship together. Would you stand?